Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Kennelly for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, March 22nd, 2019. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, who joins me today from the magazine's office in New York City. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So American Booksellers Association Executive Director Oren Teicher who has led the ABA since 2009, announced this week that he will retire in December. We both know Oren well, Andrew, and he's appeared with us on panels at the Miami Book Fair over the years. The last 10 years were an exciting decade for booksellers and for the ABA. So how is the news of Oren's departure going down? Wow. You, well, you got that right for sure. What a decade it's been for, for Oren and the ABA, right? And as you know, in an announcement via the ABA's book selling this week, Teicher announced that he was stepping down at the end of the year. Uh, and he said that, you know, this was not a decision that he reached lightly, adding that he's cherished every single day over the last 30 years that he's worked at ABA. And you heard me right. That's 30 years at ABA. Titra started as the ABA's Associate Executive Director in 1990, and he's served in different roles at different times. He's been the organization's Director of Government Affairs, its Chief Operating Officer. Uh, he's the founding president of the ABA's founding Foundation for Freedom of Expression. And of course, for the last 10 years, he's led the organization. And I'd point out he's led it extremely well. But uh, Oren noted it's the right time for him. And I might point out it's probably the right time for ABA too. Uh, indeed, a, a great run for Oren Teicher over the last decade. And given his track record, though, I think ABA would love to see him stay on. Yeah, I think they would love for him to continue as well. Yes. But, you know, all good things must end, right? And and frankly, I think it's better that things end when things are strong than when things are not strong, right? And and then let's face it, when Oren succeeded, even Mark Domnitz, things were not good back in 2009. And, and I want to look back exactly at what Oren and the ABA achieved during a period of what was intense pressure. You know, as our reporter Alex Green reported this week in our story, which is up on the PW site, under Teicher's leadership, the ABA emerged from this real period of distress following the 2008 financial crisis in 2008 to have a major resurgence uh, and a major resurgence of indie booksellers in America today. And all that while facing the growing juggernaut of Amazon, the rise of ebooks that were supposed to be, you know, the death of indie stores. And, you know, and the numbers are staggeringly good. Under Oren's watch, ABA grew from 1,401 members with 1,651 stores. That was in 2009 to 1,835 companies with 2,470 stores in 2018. I mean, that's just a massive, massive turnaround. So in our piece on the PW website, uh, Robert Sindelar, who's the ABA board president and the managing partner of Third Place Books, uh, credits Teicher with helping to transform the retail landscape for indie booksellers, you know, helping make member stores make significant changes, not only to their businesses, but also expanding the ABA's role in nearly every aspect of its advocacy work and its educational efforts, including, I think, one major accomplishment, which is the growth of the annual ABA Winter Institute, which has really become just a hugely popular and and vital event. Uh, but it goes beyond that. You know, Teicher has helped enhance ties with publishers. He's organized political advocacy, uh, especially to oppose tactics of, you know, corporate online bookselling competitors, especially Amazon. And it was during Teicher's time as CEO that, you know, at the urging of booksellers, the organization created an ABA task force on diversity. So he was wide ranging in his efforts. So Oren's success came from expanding the ABA's reach and mission and service of its goals. And I think other organizations in publishing, which I think are 
have begun to narrow their focus in some ways would really do well to pay attention to Oren's recipe for success at APA. Okay, so that's the last 10 years uh, of, of success. But what about whatever comes next? What's next for the ABA? Well, as our reporter Alex Green reported, to find a successor, the ABA board has created a search committee, uh, and that's going to include Sindelar, uh, ABA VP uh, Jimmy Fiocco, booksellers Gail Shanks and Len Vallejos, and a bunch of other board members as well. You know, the committee has retained a search firm with an eye towards selecting from a I'll quote here from the article, a diverse slate of candidates. And the committee hopes to have a candidate recommended by the end of September of this year, which is a pretty aggressive schedule. As Sindelar says, the, the ABA board might be nervous if ABA was at a less healthy spot right now, but in fact, they're in a really good place. And as Sindelar calls it a, a healthy time to be transitioning leadership. Now, as for what's next for Warren Teicher, You'll have to ask him. And that's actually a podcast that I would like to listen to. And, you know, before we move on here, I'd like to take a moment to personally congratulate Oren on the next chapter in his autobiography <laughs> coming up here. As, as you know, Chris Oren is one of the good guys. He's always been really generous sharing his knowledge and his expertise and his time. So thank you, Oren. If you're listening, we wish you all the best. When CCC's Beyond the Book returns, Andrew Albanese explains how it is that a cow can tweet and why that makes a congressman cry foul. I'm Christopher Keneally. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly and host of the new PW podcast, Publishers Weekly Insider. Each week, we'll talk to PW editors, authors, and other industry guests about the biggest and most exciting stories and books in the world of publishing. New episodes of PW Insider premiere every Friday. So listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwinsider or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe to PW Insider on iTunes. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book. It's Friday, March 22nd, 2019, and Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly joins me today as he does every Friday with news and analysis from the world of publishing and books. And before the break, Andrew, we talked about ABA CEO Oren Teicher's upcoming retirement. One of the things Oren was a great supporter of, of course, was free speech and the First Amendment. This week, some interesting developments on that front, starting with a sitting congressman suing Twitter for a quarter billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, I think you could definitely file this under the defend free speech category. Uh, news this week that Congressman Devin Nunes, who of course is a Republican from California, filed, as you say, a $250 million defamation suit against Twitter for being well, Twitter, you know, Nunes also sued a Republican strategist named Liz Mayer. Uh, you know, the cases are surely losers as long as the U.S. has a First Amendment. You know, specifically, Nunes is calling out Twitter uh, for two accounts, one called Devin Nunes's cow and the other called Devin Nunes's mom, both of which are, in fact, fairly tame. If you look at the tweets and really pretty funny. And I think they obviously clearly fall under the kind of comedy and parody that's not only protected, but in fact valued in our country, especially when it comes to public figures. You know, but, but here's the thing. You know, free speech isn't just wiped out overnight, right? In places where that happens, like Turkey, for example, most recently, it tends to be a slow drip done supposedly in the name of you know protection. And, and I'd urge everyone not to just laugh off these lawsuits by Devin Nunes and to actually go in and read the complaints because they're actually quite chilling. You know, the suits themselves, I think, legally are clearly losers, 
but they're also part of a larger messaging battle. And that message is that you know many right-wingers out there believe that social media is biased against conservatives and should be regulated by the government. And though these dudes, I think, are obviously going to fail in court, advancing this narrative of bias against conservatives in this day and age is actually pretty dangerous stuff. And you know, I think it's worth noting this week, too, that Russian President Vladimir Putin signed into law a set of bills that will punish the distribution of information that exhibits, I'm going to quote here, blatant disrespect for society, government, government symbols, the Constitution, or governmental bodies of Russia. You know, perhaps this is more what Devin Nunes has in mind, right? But unfortunately, our First Amendment was established precisely so people could criticize the government. Now, but, but just because it's in the Constitution, you know, we've had this discussion before on this show, and I'm going to say this again. Just because it's in the Constitution doesn't mean free speech doesn't need defending. And I'd urge the publishing community not to just laugh off this effort by Devin Nunes, laughable as it is, but to see it for the danger that it really is. And next week in Europe, a controversial copyright bill is scheduled for a vote in the European Parliament. In a column out today on PW, you say the situation reminds you of the debate back in 2011 and 2012 over the Stop Online Piracy Act, better known as SOPRA. So what's the similarity, you think, Andrew? Yes, yeah, so, you know, that's right. This this next week in Europe should be exciting. The European Parliament is going to uh, schedule to vote, at least, on a controversial sweeping copyright reform bill called Copyright in the Digital Single Market. And it's, it's you know, reminds me of SOPA because, once again, you have the public and these public watchdog groups and the tech industry on one side and the media industry and a lot of lobbyists with a lot of money on the other side. And you're seeing some familiar tactics. Uh, there's going to be a huge march coming up on March 23rd. The public is going to get out and and march around. And also already this week, you've seen uh, like sites like Wikipedia go dark in protest of some of the provisions of the bill. Now, we've talked briefly about this reform bill before on this show, and I'll just offer a refresher on the most controversial articles in the bill that are really sort of driving the contentiousness around the debate. Uh, one, of course, is Article 11, and that's an article that would essentially grant uh, news publishers, say, copyright over their headlines and news snippets. It's a, it's a neighboring right that would essentially mean that aggregators like Google News would have to probably pay companies for sharing articles on their platforms. And the other is Article 13, and that would require platforms hosting user-generated content, which is the internet today, to filter uploads for possible intellectual property violations. Now, the problem there, of course, is that just because something isn't authorized doesn't mean it's infringing. And, you know, that has chilling implications, I think, for free speech. Going back to our defend free speech here, if users are going to be blocked from uploading content because a dumb filter, a machine, made a determination. Uh, so that is something that has people quite fired up. Now, I, of course, have lots of thoughts on the European Copyright Bill, especially these two provisions, but I'm going to hold my fire this week, and we'll talk about it next week after the vote. If the vote happens, I'm not entirely convinced that it won't be postponed. But for now, I'm just going to encourage observers here in the U.S. to watch the headlines coming out of Europe. As I said, on March 13th, excuse me, on March 23rd, there's a big rally scheduled across Europe. And like SOPA, uh, the debate over SOPA here uh, in, in the U.S., I think you can expect a major outpouring of opposition, both online and in the streets. And the question is, with the European parliamentary elections coming up in May, right on the heels of this vote, is this show of public force online and in the streets really going to be enough to defeat this bill? Uh, it, it's not clear yet, but I think it's amazing to me to contemplate that copyright is going to be an issue that might swing an election. 
Indeed, quite a prospect. Pirates to one side, poets to the other. <laughs> a scenario only possible in this digital era. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly, thanks so much for joining me today and every Friday on CCC's Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Coming next on Beyond the Book, for publishers undertaking initiatives to upgrade or update content workflow, metadata becomes the great gremlin. A shortcut to success can begin with defining minimum viable metadata, the set of bare minimum information necessary to describe each element of content. The MVM itself will reflect a mix of internal and external factors, from IT systems to compliance requirements, as Ian Singh of UK-based Ixis told me last Last week at the London Book Fair. Ultimately, we as publishers need to think about our users and what is it that metadata allows them to do. And that comes down to what sort of publisher are we? You know, if you're a trade publisher uh, producing fiction, maybe all you need is author, title, and something which enables Amazon to go and surface your, your content pretty readily. If you're an engineering publisher, maybe you need to go to a lot more detail so you can wrap all of your content to make it smart content that can be integrated into, into systems to make it uh, much, much more powerful. Minimum Viable Metadata, next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center. Our co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. Subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The complete Beyond the Book podcast archive is available at beyondthebook.com. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening and join us again soon on CCC's Beyond the Book. 